Hello and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. This is Jeremy alone this week for a mini-sode where I will be discussing Pipe Dream, the oft-forgotten 1955 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical based on a book by Jonathan Steinbeck of Grapes of Wrath and of Mice and Men fame and produced by Cy Foyer. It's spelled F-E-U-E-R, so I'm just going to call him Cy Foyer and hope that that's correct. And also Ernie Martin is the other producer. So Pipe Dream is one of what I consider to be the bad Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. And, um, I mean, obviously take bad in context and more contrasting it with their famous musicals that got turned into movies like South Pacific and King and I and Sound of Music, things like that, Oklahoma, Carousel. Um, there were a few musicals, we've been covering them in the minisodes, that did not get turned into movies for the most part because they were bad. Their previous musicals we've talked about that didn't get made into movies, which are Allegro and Me and Juliet, at least turned a small profit, but Pipe Dream did not. It's interesting, I knew that I was going to go and cover all of these so-called bad musicals, then also Flower Drum Song, which I would not say is a bad musical, and I don't think most people would consider it a bad musical. Many people would say it was made into a bad movie, but it's definitely not the level that I think we would need an episode with both me and Hannah. So I, after I covered Allegro and Me and Juliet, I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do um, Flower Drum Song now. So I watched the movie of Flower Drum Song. I was getting ready to do that. And only when I was you know, researching through this did I realize, oh, wait, I skipped Pipe Dream. I'm making a point to cover all of their bad musicals and you know, to look at the forgotten Rodgers and Hammerstein work. And I even forgot to do Pipe Dream because it's just uh, so much at a lower level and so much less esteemed than any of their other shows, and Rodgers and Hammerstein themselves would agree to that. Now, I know that the pair had their regrets about Allegro and Me and Juliet, but at least each of those was sort of something that one of the team wanted to do. Hammerstein really wanted to do Allegro. He was really interested in the story. He's viewed it as sort of an autobiographical thing. Small town doctor goes to the big city and is overwhelmed there and wonders if uh, maybe it, he would have been better off more anonymous, and th- that was really his baby, something he was really passionate about, so Rogers went along with it. And then with me and Juliet, we talked about how now Rogers really wanted to just do an old, traditional, musical comedy show within a show, like Kiss Me Kate, but without the terrible sexism and abuse, and Hammerstein said, okay, I got Allegro, I'll give you this. It also wasn't that great. They weren't super happy with either musical, but you know, each turned a, a small profit because they're Rogers and Hammerstein, and it also might have just been easier to turn a profit back then. Um, on a musical. So they said, you know, whatever, we'll go with it. Now they find themselves doing this show, Pipe Dream, which wasn't something either of them were really excited about. Jonathan Steinbeck wrote a short novel called Sweet Thursday, um, which was actually a sequel to an earlier novel, Cannery Row, which had minor success. And the producers, Cy Foyer and Ernie Martin, liked Canary Row, and they thought that the characters in Canary Row, some of them might make good musical characters, but they didn't really feel like that novel would lend itself particularly well to being a musical, so they approached Jonathan Steinbeck and asked him, basically, can you write a sequel to Canary Row so that we can turn it into a musical? So uh, Steinbeck really wrote this sequel just so that it could be adapted, which reminds me a lot of how um, Michael Crichton just wrote a sequel to Jurassic Park called The Lost World just so that they could adapt it into a movie, and neither the book nor the movie was any good. And I think this is sort of a similar situation. You don't want to be writing novels just so that it can be adapted. It's, it's, there's not going to be that real creative spark that caused you to create a great work. I mean, maybe some people can pull it off, but 
uh, Steinbeck is one of the greatest novelists of all time, and Crichton is one of the greatest sci-fi novelists, and look what happened when they tried to write novels just to be adapted. Never worked out. Um, so he went ahead with this. He was kind of okay with... He didn't mind uh, this doing this. He was actually a little annoyed that a lot of the critics uh, really didn't like Sweet Thursday, the sequel that he wrote to be adapted into a musical, and he commented, Some of the critics are so concerned for my literary position that they can't read a book of mine without worrying where it will fit in my place in history. Who gives a damn? And um, so basically, he, you know, even though he's seen as some great literary genius, he also just wanted to, you know, write a little book and have it be okay. And he didn't need it to be some grand thing that was going to be read in English classes for decades to come. And um, he's, he's just a regular person, too, who sometimes just writes a book to make a little bit of money and to have a little bit of fun. So he went ahead and wrote this, and the producer team wanted Frank Lesser from Guys and Dolls. He's the one who wrote Guys and Dolls to compose the musical based on it, but he was unavailable because he was working on Most Happy Fella, which was also a pretty decent hit back then. So they went to Rodgers and Hammerstein, and here's the problem with Sweet Thursday, and here's the problem with this musical. It's about a marine biologist in uh, California who falls in love with a prostitute who works in a, uh, in a brothel, and Rodgers and Hammerstein are they make family musicals. Yeah, there's like deeper themes that are considered, and sex is often something that's in the background or being implicitly considered. I mean, just think of The King and I and how he basically has a harem um, just to have sex with all of them. But it was not something they were good at writing explicitly, especially Hammerstein. He was really, I don't want to say prudish because he wasn't, but writing about a prostitute was just not his bag. So eventually they sort of, I would say, talked themselves into it. Hammerstein kind of liked the idea of these characters who might not match well together ending up together. He'd sort of done a similar thing in Carousel, and he'd done similar things in previous musicals in his life. So I feel like it's sort of the kind of situation where Rodgers and Hammerstein were sitting in a room and talking to each other, and Hammerstein's like, I mean, I don't know, like, maybe we could do this musical. What do you think? And Rodgers is like, I don't know, like, I'm not sure, but I guess we could do this. And it's kind of the thing where if either one of them had really said, no, I refuse, the other one would have been like, yeah, you're probably right, let's stop it. But they just sort of hemmed and hawed their way into like finding themselves accidentally putting up this musical that neither of them actually wanted to put up, which is not something that ever happened for them before or since, and I think is a large part of why it both is bad and why it feels like they sort of phoned it in a little bit. Like they weren't with uh, me and Juliet, which also wasn't good. At least they were constantly rewriting and trying to get it into good shape. Same with Allegro. And with this, it sort of feels like they reach a certain point where they're like, eh, let's just put it up. And they, I mean, there were revisions throughout because at first it was more evident that uh, she was a prostitute. And through revisions and revisions, they sort of kept toning that down out of discomfort until it sort of just seemed like she lived in a boarding house. And it was extremely unclear what her profession was and why she would be ashamed of her profession, even though that's a major part of the show. So if you went into this night not actually knowing that she was a prostitute, it would just be really confusing, is what basically the critics said and what the audience reception seemed to be. And this was the first Roger and Hammerstein show, and I believe the last, that did not turn a profit on its original run. So there was no London production afterwards, there was no national tour. It really did badly. And also, because Rodgers and Hammerstein were wealthier at this point, they funded the musical themselves to a degree they hadn't done previously, which meant that the failure of this was a huge, huge financial hit to them both, caused them to lose a lot of money, and was arguably a contributing factor to Rodgers, was an alcoholic for a while and deeply depressed. Eventually, that sort of turned around is what I've read. Um, I mean, you, you never know um, like if he was drinking or not at certain points in his life, but it seems like this musical put both of them, and especially Rogers, in a really bad place. Um, now, 
I'd say this is a good time to start playing songs. Now, I listened to this entire soundtrack, and it was the most boring soundtrack I've ever listened to for Broadway Binge. It was truly hard to get through, and there were a shocking number of songs on, like, um, Allegro and Me and Juliet, which I could kind of just power through. So I found myself, once I got to act two, just listening to the first half of the song or first third of a song. Once it gets through the intro and you've heard a verse and a chorus and you know what the rest of the song is going to be like, I would just skip ahead because I really couldn't just sit here and spend all this time listening to this boring nonsense um, on, a, on a Saturday morning when I could be doing fun things like uh, re-watching old TV shows on Netflix or watching paint dry. So I, um, I've pulled a few songs that I actually... There's one song that I think has interesting music. The lyrics overall in this whole musical, I think, are pretty weak. Pro- possibly, probably Hammerstein's weakest work. So I'll start by playing the one song where I think the music is actually pretty interesting. It's called Tide Pool. I don't even remember what's going on. He's a marine biologist there in a tide pool. The plot's really not that interesting. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about ever watching or listening to this. You, ne- you never need to. Um, I So I couldn't find on Spotify the original cast album. I'm sure it's on YouTube or something, but uh, Spotify does have a 2012 Encores concert performance uh which was done and um it's it's a little weird i'm not sure how i feel about some of these encores concert performances i feel like they don't they sound a little modern like the the recording all sounds very fresh and cute and 2010s ish um not as authentic as what i would like but that's what i'm going to play for you none of them really do as good accent work as i would want either Uh, but anyway here's the tide pool and um, I think it's kind of interesting musically, so I'll just play a little bit of this, and then um, after that, I'll, sh- I'll tell you basically how the rest of the format of this mini-soda is going to go. What kind of place is this, anyway? This is a Western Biological Laboratory. Belongs to Doc there. You better sit down a while. i got to go down to the tide pool, but stay as long as you like. Oh, what's a tide pool? It's where Doc catches things, octopuses and stuff. It's nothing at all when the tide is high, it's just a bunch of waves. They whip all around all the rocks and chase all the fish in the caves. But if you get there when the tide is low and the pool is clear and clean, you can see to the bottom the damnedest collection of creeps you ever seen. Flowers that live on fish Scooping in whatever comes Crabs that grab another crab And chew his legs The dirty bugs Starfish having himself a lunch Eat some mussel off a shell Shrimps and lipids and snails and eels What a smelly tail they tell Fighting each other and eating each other And lousing up the sea Stupid sons of fishes If you're asking me Heh <laughs> Um, anyway, that just sounds kind of different from anything else I've heard from R&H. Maybe Carousel, because that also takes place in sort of a seaside town. I keep thinking this takes place where Carousel does, but it's in Monterey, California, right by San Francisco, so, um, it's actually not about that. It also takes place just after the war, so sort of the modern day, back in 1955, um, kind of a town that's recovering, uh, there's a cannery there where people work, there's a flop house, which, uh, um, I always just thought was a podcast here. I'm, I'm actually gonna look up live, what is a flop house? Is that, what the, is that what the prostitutes live in? A cheap hotel or a rooming house. Oh, so maybe that's what they're pretending in the musical. Instead of uh, admitting that it is a, uh, a brothel, they're just referring to it as a flop house, perhaps. But I think also some of the men live there. It's very confusing. I'm not going to waste any more time trying to figure out uh, what exactly the situation in this musical is because it doesn't interest me that much. But... Um, I will now play a few songs, um, what I'm going to call the Rodgers and Hammerstein Exposed Party, because there's a few songs in this that I listen to, and I'm like, this really sounds similar to a previous Rodgers and Hammerstein song. Like, they were just lifting from themselves and being lazy. 
Um, I mean, not to criticize them too much. They're like some of the all-time greats. Um, I don't blame them for phoning in this musical once they realized that it wasn't going to be great. But I do think uh, this is unusually derivative of themselves to an extent I have not heard in any of their other musicals. And I have now listened to all of their other musicals except for uh, State Fair, which is a movie that eventually got put on Broadway. We'll, we'll cover that at some point. So first I'm going to play a little bit of um, Everybody's Got a Home But Me. This is sung by the main woman, uh, the prostitute. She is played by Laura Osnes or Laura Osnes. Um in the concert version, and she, I think this song sounds very similar to You'll Never Walk Alone from um, Carousel. So I'm going to play a little bit of Everybody's Got a Home But Me, and then I'm going to play a little bit of You'll Never Walk Alone, sung by Renee Fleming in the 2018, the recent revival of uh, Carousel, which I saw and thought was eh, whatever. Okay, so I think that sounds just like You'll Never Walk Alone. So I'm going to play the key part of You'll Never Walk Alone, and then I'll play that part from Everybody's Got a Home uh, But Me again, just to compare how similar they are.
So yeah, I just found those. I mean, they're not exactly the same, but you can kind of hear the similarity in the style of song and sort of like the note progression. Um, and, you know, it, it really it sounds very similar, I think. Um, now I'm going to get to the next comparison. This next song is All at Once You Love Her, which is sung by the main guy uh, singing about how he suddenly fell in love with the main woman. Um, and I think this is kind of a worse version of Something Wonderful from The King and I. Um, especially the flutes. I think sort of the background flutes are playing pretty much the exact same background melody, and then even the actual sung melody sounds very similar. So here is that. You start to This is now something wonderful. This is a I'll skip the intro. Hear those flutes down there. Same exact notes, basically. So that, I think, was also very uh, similar. Now I'm going to play a little bit of uh, one last song from this musical. This is called uh, Will You Marry Me, and it's uh, sung by the, the couple that's in love. I don't even remember which one sings it. Probably the woman. Maybe the man joins in later. But I'll play a little bit from the beginning where the uh, woman sings, and it reminds me a lot of Mr. Snow or When I Marry Mr. Snow from Carousel. So what I'm going to do now is uh, play a little bit of Will You Marry Me, sung by Laura Osney's, uh, followed by um, a little bit of Mr. Snow, sung by Lind uh, Lindsay Mendez, the winner of the 2018 Tony for Best Featured Actress in a Musical for her role as uh, Carrie, I think the character's name is, who sings Mr. Snow. Um, so first, Will You Marry Me? Here's Mr. Snow. Julie! When I marry Mr. Snow, the flowers will be buzzing with the honeybees, the birds will make a racket in the churchyard trees. When I marry Mr. Snow. Yeah, so uh, she's singing that to Jesse Mueller. Uh, she does a great job. I mean, definitely deserved her Tony. I, I personally prefer when Jesse Mueller is singing that song, which uh, we played a clip of on uh, from a YouTube video when we did the Carousel episode. Um, but nothing against Lindsay Mendez. I'm just a huge Jesse Mueller fan. Although um, in Carousel, I was not super impressed. Not because it's her fault or anything, but just because the main woman in Carousel, her role is actually not as big as you might remember. She kind of... It's, it's really uh, the show all about the, the male actor... Um, 
who plays Billy Bigelow. It's sort of his thing. Uh, Jesse Miller didn't really get to show off her amazing voice and acting abilities that much. I was, I'd forgotten, but when I went into the musical looking forward to and hoping to see her act and sing a lot, I was um, a little bit surprised at how little she actually had to do. Um, so anyway, back to Pipe Dream. I do think those songs sounded very similar. I hope you heard it too. And there's not a whole lot else to say other than the fact that they were very upset and disappointed with how the show went. Steinbeck himself didn't really mind because to him it was just, you know, he's getting some money. This isn't what his career is based on. He didn't care. It was, it was fun. He got to, you know, go out and go to cast parties and things. Um, so even though he wasn't super pleased with, you know, how they changed the characters, he didn't really care. Um, Rodgers and Hammerstein viewed this as their biggest failure. Um, I guess allegedly it is said that, um, so also publicly Hammerstein, according to Wikipedia, accepted the whole blame for everything, saying that, you know, like it was no one else's fault but his. But according to Cy Foyer, um, Hammerstein privately blamed him and Martin, the other producer, telling them, quote, we believed your pitch and we went and did something we were never cut out to do and we never should have done it, end quote. So, I mean, who knows what's true, but either way, they all regretted it. And uh, luckily, this was not the final show they did together, and um, good things were in their future. So that's basically, I think, everything you need to know about Pipe Dream. Don't feel the need to listen to the soundtrack or, or look up anything more about it. I think, I think I've think uh, i given you enough info so you don't need to worry about it going forward. The last minisode I'm going to do about Rodgers and Hammerstein, unless we eventually do State Fair um, or Cinderella, although Cinderella would probably be a main episode anyway, um, the next episode we're going to do is about Flower Drum Song, and I've already seen the movie for Flower Drum Song, so that uh, episode shouldn't be too far away, and I think what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to go see Crazy Rich Asians, the movie that's coming out, um, I, as at the time of this recording, it's coming out in like three days, because I believe uh, Crazy Rich Asians is only the second um, Hollywood-produced movie starring a cast almost fully of Asian-American actors, or Asian actors at all. Um, that takes place in the present day. There have only been two since Flower Drum Song in 1961. There was a 1993's Joy Luck Club, and now in 2018, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. So I'm going to watch that movie and see if there's anything to be, you know, compared. Maybe there won't be, but maybe there will. And I think that could be kind of an interesting um, experiment. So um, that'll be coming to you before too long. Uh, so everyone, thank you very much for listening to this mini-sode. Be sure to subscribe to Broadway Binge if you haven't already. I don't know why you'd be listening to this episode on Pipe Dream if you're not subscribed, but... If that's the case, please subscribe, and you can also find our episodes at broadwaybinge.podbean.com, and uh, please tweet at us at broadway underscore binge, where you can join the conversation, and um, feel free if you have any thoughts on Pipe Dream or anything else we've talked about, just throw us a tweet. So uh, thank you all for listening, and I will see you soon for Flower Drum Song. Flower Drum Song.